0: So glad to have you sing out tonight. Thankful for for your participation as we worship God together. Thank you for all those who are joining us via live stream. We know that there are those who faithfully join us that way and those who because of sickness or travel do. Thank you for doing that and coming in and worshiping with us. We are thankful you have chosen to do so. As we've been talking about over the past uh few weeks, we have a fall festival this Saturday night, and it is a night where there will be pizza, there will be food, there will be desserts, well there will be desserts if you bring them. So if you cook some desserts and bring them, that would be awesome. But one of the main things we want to do that night is to have a time for our young people to be able to go around and and do some trick-or-treating, and that's going to take you being willing to decorate your trunks, and if you're being willing to do that, please sign up on the list out in uh, Information Central, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, I'm going to thank all those who today went to lunch with somebody or had people over, whatever it is, and talked about your story. I know that not probably not everybody did this, but I'm very thankful for those who did because I know if you did it, you were blessed because of it. You learn more about other people. You probably learn more about yourself. I'm thankful I Received a text message today letting me know of one, uh, three families who did this together, and I thought it was awesome that that they did this, the McCormicks and Adams and Millers, uh, spending and having lunch together, and what? Sharing their lives together. Sharing the story of Jesus and how Jesus has impacted you. If you were able to do that today, I'd love to know that if you'd text me this week and just say, hey, well, this is what we did, this is what we got from it. And if you haven't done it today and you're starting to feel a little bit guilty, you still get to go eat tonight, invite somebody, it'd be really awesome. Make it tonight something you want to do, so I'd love for you to choose to do that. I believe you will be blessed because of it. Let's go to God in prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful for you, thankful for this church family, thankful for our stories that are wrapped up in your huge story to save the world. God, help us to be people who share that and who know that we have a responsibility to reach out to those who are around us and who we see. And Lord, help us to be people who spread your word so that they may respond. Lord, whatever excuses are in the way, please help us to throw those away and help us to always come back to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We are on a mission, and that mission is the Great Commission. is to teach people, to teach lost people the gospel, and it'll come through how we speak, it'll come through how we act, how we treat people. All those things are wrapped up in the life that we are to have as a disciple and making disciples. In the Great Commission, in Matthew's account, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, first Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He said, I have a right to say that. If I'm going to send you on a mission... I am the king of heaven and earth, and I have a right to send you out to do something. And what I'm sending you out to do is to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? To observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great promise at the end. He says, I have the authority. I'm sending you out. You go out and disciple people. As as they are following Jesus and, and making that choice, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You continue to teach them. And don't forget, whenever you're in doubt, I'm with you. What a great promise. I'm not giving you a job to do and leaving you alone. I'm always there to support you, to work through you, to work with you. And my word, again, will not come back to me void. If you spread my word, it will pay off. And we ask the question today, are you sowing the seed of the kingdom? Is this something that we are doing? And and I believe as disciples we want to be doing this. If not, we need a heart check and we need to start over because for us to to have the gift of salvation, for us to have responded to that and not sharing it, means we've missed something along the way because we somebody shared it with us, whether it was our parents, a friend, whoever it would be, and we are to share it with other people. We, as the Lord's family, the Lord's church here in Mount Juliet, want to make sure that we are people who share his message. How do we do that? We're with salt and light. Salt and light make an impact. As, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses. well, the if you take the entire thing, this goes with verses 1 through 14, to do what? To be salt and light of the world. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We are to be salt. Isn't it interesting he didn't say you will be? He said you are. You are the salt of the earth. And salt makes a difference with everything it comes in contact with and realize we are to be that. Not only that, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a light uh, on a put put a light a light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so it gives light in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What we want to do is spread God's word in the way we speak. And in the way we act, in the way we treat people, in the way we function, we are salt and light and we make a difference in the lives of others by making sure that they know who Jesus is. We are called to be these things. A quote that is very humbling to me says this, that your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should should make non-Christians doubt their disbelief in God. In other words, you, they, they go, wow, if, if I don't believe and this person has such faith, may we be people who do that. Tonight, what I want us to do, tonight to be a very practical lesson. I hope that you'll bear with me as we're thinking about evangelism. Because it's very easy when we think about going into the whole world to be very, very... Uh, overwhelmed with that, to think, how in the world do we do that? And we think about our county and how large it is. We think about the, the area we are. You may just th- be thinking about your school. And we start thinking about, all right, <coughs> why is it that people may not attend or be a part of uh, uh, of church? And, and, and the thing is, what we're seeing in our society is it's called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, okay? Those are two totally different sermons, okay? <clears throat> but the rise of the nuns, though, that is those who are on their census. When it comes to your religious preference, they choose none. You can choose agnostic, you can choose atheist, you can choose uh, Protestant, you can choose Catholic, you can choose all these different things. Hindu, you can choose a lot of different things. Jewish. But there are more and more who are choosing none. None. This is how much the nun group has grown. <laughs> In 1986, only 10 percent of people marked none. In 2016, nearly 40 percent marked none. No religious affiliation, no faith that they would adhere to. It doesn't mean that they are atheist or agnostic because that has its own category. These are those, I think, that that believe, but for whatever reason aren't practicing or aren't plugged in somewhere. If you see, uh, even that group has grown so much. It's interesting. The way people mark down on the, I think this 2016 number is the latest that we have, nearly 40% uh, wrote themselves down as Protestant. But do you see the second largest group? The nuns. even more than identify as Catholic. Let that sit in just for a second. That is the prevailing group, and that's just not somewhere else. I think that would be here where we live too. There are more and more who would classify themselves as no specific religion. I I think they they might classify themselves as Christian maybe. They're not anti. Antis would have other categories. Anti-belief. But they don't have a specific belief in mind. So tonight, what I want us to do, this uh, some of this study comes from some work done by Tom Rainer, who's president of Lifeway uh, Bookstore. And he does a ton of research. And I think this should be very helpful because I, I believe this church wants to make a difference in this community. I, I think we showed that by planting another congregation. We want the church to grow in Wilson County. But now that there's room in here, we want to fill this place up to Overflowing. And we want more and more people to be saved. And so the more we can learn about those that we're trying to reach, wow, how much will that help us in being equipped to reach out to those who are lost? First of all, one of the insights in the book, he said, most of the unchurched prefer to attend on Sunday morning if they attend and a very distant preference was on a weeknight service other than Friday nights. Well, how do we respond to that? That's really good because we meet on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're already set up. That's really, really good. Most people that want to attend, if work permits, want to attend on a Sunday. We already do that. And it is great that if that's the, that's the insight that we have, that we are already set up to be successful. We have a time to be able to invite people Sunday morning, Sunday night, and to be able to invite them to, to worship, invite them to study, invite them to be around some of the best people in the world. We want to do that. Secondly, many of the unchurched feel guilty about not attending church, especially if they have children. Many who don't probably, and we'll talk about this in a minute, grew up going somewhere, and now their children are growing up and they feel guilty that they don't have their children learning about God. Well one person said in this in this book said every Sunday I wake up and feel terrible about not taking Shanna and Tim to church. Mary G of Sarasota, Florida told us Mike her husband feels the same way. It's tough to start a habit of doing something you've never done before. And I think that's the same for any of us. So if they feel guilty, why do the unchurched continue to avoid church? As strange as it may seem uh, to a church-going Christian, the church intimidates the unchurched person. They do not think they, they can fit in in a place they've never attended, and they are uncertain about church protocol. They just feel they will feel out of place. Can I tell you this is true? We know this just by going and visiting other congregations. Many of us may be somewhere every time the doors are open, but we go on vacation, we're going to go somewhere, or we're traveling somewhere new, there's still a bit of anxiety. Imagine what it would be like to go somewhere and said, "Hey, we haven't been in church. We don't know what to do." And and all of a sudden, the Lord's Supper starts around. Well, did I take that? Do I not take that? What is it? Are they asking for money? Do we have to give? Are they going to keep records if we don't give this morning? What, what what's the? Haven't we already prayed once? Isn't that like the fifth prayer? You can start going on and thinking about what it would be like. Also, think about this, man. Everybody seems to know the songs. I don't know how out of place they would feel. What we must do is make sure that we're in the business of making people feel comfortable when they come here. We want to make them feel comfortable, and the only way for for us to do that is to make sure that we see ourselves as hosts. We sing the song, Be Our Guest, right? The only way anybody will ever feel like a guest is if we as God's people see ourselves as hosts. That means we show people around. That means we answer questions. That makes, means we make sure that we, we don't make people feel out of place. That we don't call on uh, put somebody on the spot in Bible class or something that would make them feel very awkward. We want to make sure if somebody is coming in, they're already doing one of the most difficult things there is for people, which is going into a church building, especially if they're not used to going. And we want to make sure we are people who are geared to making them feel comfortable. If they sit in your seat, Good, they're here. We want to do everything to make them feel comfortable. Another insight from the unchurched says 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited. Let that sit in. Most people, like, like nearly all, there's only that 4%, according to this study, and this study talked to thousands and thousands of unchurched people. This study did said they would be more likely to attend and somewhat likely if they were invited. The writer said, we estimate that 160,000 people in the U.S. are unchurched if we define unchurched as attending church two or times less a year, okay? If our research is close to accurate, the implications are staggering. That means over 153 million people would start attending church if they were invited. When's the last time you invited someone to worship with you that was not already a Christian at another one of our sister congregations? When's the last time that that any of us invited someone else to to come with us? To me, uh, it's pretty heartbreaking to think about that there are people who are are ready and waiting to be asked. The writer said, are Christians inviting non-Christians to church? The heartbreaking answer is no. Only 20, 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. But only 2% of the church members invite an unchurched person to church. Perhaps the evangelistic apathy so evident in many churches can be explained by simple laziness on the part of church members of inviting others to church. See, I've heard people say inviting people to church is an evangelism. Yes, it is. You're bringing them in contact with God's Word and God's people? Sounds like evangelism to me. Is it the only way thing we should do? No. But well, I'm going to tell you, we should be inviting. We should be uh, inviting on a regular basis those. Did you realize that? It says most people who do invite others don't invite, still don't invite unchurched people. They don't invite people who aren't already connected. I think it's important that we do that. Can I tell you it was neat today that happened? We had some people visiting here. Why? Simply because somebody else invited them. I love it. I met them. Philip met them. Tim met them. We all all met them, and they were invited by somebody else here. Why? Because they asked them. Our response to this this, uh, thing is we should start inviting people, and we need to realize that we need to make real invitations. A real invitation is a specific invitation. Would you come to church sometime is not an invitation. Will you come to church with me next Sunday morning? Uh, We can go to late service or early service. I usually go to early service. I actually go to both, but I'm playing like I'm y'all, okay? Um, Early service starts at 8 I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll be here waiting for you in the hallway. We'll come in and sit together. we we'll go to a Bible class. Afterwards, I'd love to take you to lunch, and guess what? You can just tell me what you thought about it. I'd love to know how you felt about being there this morning. See, a real invitation has to be very specific. And if we're going to invite people, we want to be specific And when we're inviting I think this thing next uh, next Saturday night the the trunk or treat fall festival the different things that are going on. Hey, would you like to come do that? Then, following up, hey, the next day i would love to have you come to worship with us. We meet at this time and this time. We would love for you to be there. Next uh, insight is uh, very few of the unchurched have had someone share to them how, share with them how to become a Christian. Let that sit in a second. There are people who. Have never been approached. I think that's tough for us because uh, growing up where I grew up, during the time I grew up, I didn't know anybody who was quote unchurched. Everybody went somewhere, they might not go all the time, but pretty much everybody I knew, except for, for maybe one or two families, went somewhere. And, and so, many times when we our thought of evangelism was the, the way to do this is to share how one becomes a Christian because we're going to differ in that. Let's open up God's Word, and you you tell me and show me what you did to become a Christian, I want to show you what I did to become a Christian, to know that there are people who need to know what to do to become a Christian. Listen, if there are people searching, and they're watching TV shows, and these TV shows tell them what to do to become a Christian, or they watch a religious movie, can I tell you they're really not being told what to do to become a Christian? They need to hear the truth from people who know the truth. The writer says, and Christians have not been particularly influential in their lives. Ooh. The surprise is no longer a surprise in light of the previous discussion. If Christians do not invite non-Christians to church, we cannot be surprised if they do not share the gospel uh, with or influence the unchurched. We have to make our lives about being salt and being light salt and light. The writer says, I wish my readers had the same opportunity we had to listen to these unchurched persons. If you could have heard how many of the unchurched are waiting on someone to explain the way of salvation, you might have a whole new outlook on reaching these people. You might be surprised that when some Christians may think the time is just not right, the unchurched are wondering why we are so reticent. Gene Stallings is a, uh, many of you who are Alabama fans will probably realize he was a really good coach for the University of Alabama. He's somebody who coached with Paul Bear Bryant and and coached sort of in his legacy. He's also a Christian, but he hasn't always been. His wife was, and his father-in-law was, and one night over dinner, his father-in-law said, uh... I really want you to become a Christian. I really love for you to be baptized. He said, I'd love to. Let's go. And he said, It was that easy? He goes, Yes, I've been waiting for you to ask me. I've been coming to church with you. I've been worshiping, you know, with you this stuff. I've just been waiting for you to ask. He didn't know exactly all the protocol and everything. I've been waiting for you to ask because I want to make that decision. I think sometimes what we let is the worst case scenario keep us from acting in a way that could help other people. We, we go, what if they are offended or turned off? We could go through all these different things instead of going, what if they say yes? What if they say yes? That means we must be salt and light and we must share the word and when given an opportunity to be able to sit down and show somebody uh, what they need to do to be a Christian. Here's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. If you are a Christian, all you have to do is tell them what you did. You're not telling them to walk down a path that you yourself had not already walked down. It is a story and a way that you are already familiar with, being able to share this with them. We're to be seed sowers. This was pretty surprising. I was kind of shocked at this. As many of the unchurched have a positive view about preachers in church. Well, that's good. There are some who don't. There are some who who, who drastically despise uh, religion, and I think I think we're moving more and more toward that way. Instead of people being non uh, nuns, I think there will be more that nuns. There will be more people who move toward being um, against. So why don't people go to church? The answer seems to be twofold. For some of the unchurched, they visited churches. Their experience have been negative. People were unfriendly. The unkempt facilities, poor signage, general confusion have been some of the descriptions about uh, church from the unchurched. They say when we do go, we're confused. We don't know where to go. A lot of times, buildings don't have real good signage about how to to get somewhere. I don't know if you've ever tried to explain to someone how to take their child to class here. That's challenging. Would you agree? Yeah, we're, we're and, and part of it is you're you're trying to fit all the people in you can. And you want to have good signage. You want to have people who are willing to show people and walk with people. You want to make sure when they come in, again, that we, that we are people who function as hosts, that function in friendliness. Can I tell you that I know I talked about this in a sermon back when I first moved here. It's been awesome to talk to people who have visited here about their experiences here. Uh, Brian Lamasters reaches out to those who who visit and has done a survey, and I'll let him talk about that at a different time. But um, they are saying that people have been very friendly and helpful. The other day, it was interesting. We've had a couple visiting with us for a while, and they missed a Sunday. And one of the families that sits around and called them and checked on them. I don't even know how you got their number. To me, that's incredible. That's what we want to do. We want to be friendly. We want to be welcoming. And I'm going to tell you, it starts in the parking lot, it's it's in the hallways, and especially when we come in here. I know our eyes are open many times to say, hey, I want to see my friend that I hadn't seen in the past two or three days, but to look around and say, hey, are there people we don't recognize? We want to make sure that everybody feels welcomed and wanted. And and the thing is, if people come in that way, they, they won't feel invited. If you come in and people aren't friendly, you feel uninvited. So let's think about this. What we want to do is prepare ourselves and our building and ourselves to serve, to realize when we do come here, as we talked about a few weeks ago when I talked about Waffle House, is we show up to work. We show up as as worshipers. We show up as people who reach out. We show up as people who want to make a difference. Another thing to realize is many of those who consider themselves nuns anymore, those who are unchurched, they have a church background. Some of them um, have have dropped out of church or some were just dropped off to church as kids. I got some 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 really good friends and their parents felt guilty about their kids not going to church so they would just drop them off before it started and pick them up after it ended but they didn't go themselves. And so many times since they didn't see that modeled in their parents, they didn't keep that up as they got older. The thing is, don't assume, even though people say, I may not know what's going on, that people are clueless or have no view about God. Nobody wants to be condescended to. It's something for us to realize. And, and, and uh, another thing is this. I'm going to skip through this. Oh, this is interesting. We talk about door knocking, and door knocking is something, a cold call going to someone's house. There are people it works with. There are people it doesn't work with. But I'm going to tell you what's interesting in this, this interview I thought was really neat. The person said, I was most positively impacted by a Christian who asked for permission to meet or talk with me. The cold call visitor to my home was a pain, but I ended up accepting Christ through the witness of a church member who took me to lunch on three different occasions. I knew what her agenda was, but at least she invited me to lunch. I knew she wanted to study with me, but at least she took the time to say, could we meet here? I, I, I think that's big. I, I think that's that's why I left it in there. I think it's important as we meet with people, we do talk about the spiritual and that we do set appointments. I love this. The unchurched would like to develop a real and sincere relationship with a Christian. People don't need to be felt, felt as a target, that you're just going to me and as soon as you're finished with me, you're going to someone else, that you genuinely care about someone and you want to... Be friends with them and have a relationship with them that, that not only are you trying to help them to become a disciple, but you want to continue being friends with them after they are disciples. The writer says, if we call ourselves Christians really we uh, and really believe that a person is lost outside of salvation through Christ, we would make the lost and the unchurched one of our highest priorities. And if we really had broken hearts for the unchurched person, we would take whatever time it's necessary to get to know them and share the love of Christ in word and deed. If we if we believe, and the Bible does teach, that all those who do not put on Christ in baptism will be lost, those who, who do not name him as Lord and do that will be lost, if we believe that, and the Bible does teach that, then we should have literally a fire underneath us to make a difference in the lives of others and reach out. Winning the lost and and, and reaching the unchurched is really not a big mystery. There are millions of these men and women waiting for one of us Christians to spend time with them and show them that we really care. Jesus desired that none would perish. In the midst of his packed schedule, he took time to show his love for sinners. And are we willing to do likewise? If our lives are about discipleship, us being disciples of bringing others, then our eyes are open to those who need Jesus. Many of the unchurched are far more concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children than themselves. That seems to be the case, and I mentioned that sort of earlier. That's the population that when I googled how many people live in Mount Juliet, that's how many people say are here. I just feel like they're all on Mount Juliet Road just about every day at the same time. 35,725. Well, this is how that breaks down. 11% of those are over 65. So we got some of the 11% in here. You know who you are. Don't have to point that out, okay? 52% of those are between the ages of 19 and 65. 36% 36 are 18 and under. That means we got a lot of, lot of children whose parents are probably concerned about them, and that, that's an incredible thing. Because we, we have a lot of young people in this city. And for us, that, that is a, a great thing. If you look at this, the, the largest, I know you can't see all of this, but the side that is blue is the amount of men. The side that is purple is the amount of women and it goes out by by like 500 to 1,000 by every age group. The, the lowest one up here would be from birth to five at the top. It's those who are 80. If you can't tell, the largest age group in Mount Juliet is 10 to 14-year-olds. It's larger than any other group. We need to make sure that our fourth-grade and fifth-grade ministries. Our middle school and high school ministries are fully staffed, not just with staff but with volunteers and leaders because that's the, the majority of people in this area are in that age group. And you see as it's going down, the number keeps growing. And sorry, guys, there's a lot more of y'all than there are girls. But you sit there and look at that and realize, wow, there, there are so many we can reach. And so our response to that, you know, and by the way, this is the, the population just going up. It goes back to 1940, uh, when, when there was a, just a few hundred people who lived here at Mount Juliet all the way up to where it is today. And that number doesn't seem like it's going to go down. When we think about that, that means that we as a congregation, if we're going to reach our community, we have to truly minister to children and families. If that's thirty six percent of our society, we want to do the best job we can to minister to them. Not just our our youth group, and I'm so thankful for Philip and Blaine and all the work that goes on there. But the groups that are younger, we want to make sure that 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 there are activities for them, that there are things we can do outreach wise. I'm thankful for all the effort that uh that uh, Uh, Tim and Lauren put into the education program here for everybody, but we want to make sure that we are ministering to those groups. When I look at our city, what I see is the fields are white, ready to harvest. But the laborers are few, and what if we decided tonight we want to be those laborers? What if we decided that the Great Commission was not something that was generally written to a bunch of people, but was at least specifically written to me. What if I saw it as personal that that my life is going to be that? What difference could we make? We would not just make a difference here. We would make a difference eternally. That's the greatest difference we can make. And that's what we want to do. This commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and remembering what? That the Lord is with us always, even to the end of the age. He is with us as we live for Him. We want to be salt and light. That is how we'll make a difference. And the thing is, I don't want you to leave here tonight intimidated. I want you to leave here empowered to reach out to people, to show people Jesus, to reach out and love, to be able to share what you need to be saved, be able to share that Jesus loves people, and to help them to know. And through our salt and light, we're doing what we're sowing seed. And God promises if we will sow, there will be those at water and he will give the increase. Let us be people who are about that. Let's pray just for a moment and then we'll have the invitation. God, I know tonight uh, our lesson for our people was a little bit different. God, help each one of us to see that the Great Commission's for us, and if people weren't did not reach out to us, we would not be saved. Lord, please help give us the strength and the desire and the courage and the de- and the knowledge, knowing that people are lost without you, and, and that people do truly want to be your child, and help us to be the conduit so that they may see you through us and they may choose you. Lord, please give us that courage to become the most disciple-making body of Christ there is so that we can make the biggest difference from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Maybe tonight you want to be a disciple. We would love for you to make that decision tonight to choose to be baptized from this of your sins. Or maybe tonight that you want us to pray with you and for you. If we can help you with this, would you come now while we stand and while we sing? As the deer thirst for the water.